You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome to another new episode of the Step Over Podcast. Uh, I am Jim Adair. With me as always is Max. Uh, the first round is a wrap report. Ooh, that's good. It's just also just flat out your last name. Uh, we are here on, it's a Wednesday, I believe, uh, where the Sixers um, finished off the series against the uh, Brooklyn Nets last night uh, in five games and in uh, very hearty fashion. Um, both the Sixers and their future opponents, now the Raptors, um, essentially started their games. I think at one time the Sixers were up like 20. 21 to 3 or something like that and and this mm-hmm. the Raptors game basically started the exact same way so both were easily handled uh both teams got the rest of their guys a lot uh which is you know good for the Sixers bad for the team you're playing going forward you would hope they would go maybe a little bit longer and maybe you have to tire their guys out a little bit but uh before we go on and talk about the upcoming series which will be majority of the podcast uh was there anything notable at all last night Max that you saw Outside of just the absolute, you know, going about the business, never in doubt uh, nature of the game that you think is notable uh, going forward, notable looking back at the last series, uh, anything that really jumped out to you? You know, not really. <laughs> not not beyond just like how, how in sync they, they really looked um, yeah. and just how, I don't know, it's it, the whole season's, I guess, kind of been like this, but just where every once in a while this team just looks so good and so fluid and so mm-hmm. on point on both ends of the floor that you just like start to to get ahead of yourself and i, th- I think I, I think watching last night and really the last four games um has made me feel i guess as confident as i've been since probably the tobias harris trade or maybe even before that maybe maybe even mm-hmm. when they first traded for jimmy butler that like this team actually can contend. And I, and I, this right. Raptor series is not what I thought it was going to be going into the playoffs for me, where, um, you know, where, where I kind of assumed if you drew the Raptors in round two, I was expecting a loss in six, maybe seven. Um, I'm not really there right now. I feel like, I feel like the Sixers have earned for me, have like earned enough in these, in these last four games for, for me to be confident that like, whether they, you could say they've like turned a corner or not, just that like they're hot right now in a way that it didn't yeah. feel like they were going to be in these playoffs given the way they finished the season. This feels a lot like last season at the end, except the team's just way more talented. No, I agree. And and uh, to your note um, about how everyone's kind of clicking and gelling, mind you, in the five-game series, the Sixers won a game that Joel Embiid did not play in. So if you take that game out, uh, then it was a 3-1 series. And in those four games, one of which was a loss, uh, the starting five combined uh, played 49 minutes together, which is a small sample size, but it's the playoffs. Um, 
there's only been five there's only four games included in this so you know that's not really that small when it comes to that uh and in that time their net rating is 62.2 which is astonishing um just a quick breakdown if you don't know for net rating uh the team's offensive rating is how many points uh in this, this specific case is how many points this five-man lineup scores per 100 possessions when they're on the floor the defensive rating is how many points they allow in per 100 possessions um i think if you just went and looked at the numbers i think it was something like uh they outscored the nets with that five-man lineup like it was like 140 to 70 something or something like that, which is just, they doubled them up essentially. And that's something that you like to see because as you see these shortened rotations in the playoffs and you see the big question was always, how do they fit? How does this mesh? They only played uh, parts of 10 games together with those five guys in the regular season. Uh, that was always the concern. And, and I think, I don't know if we mentioned it on here or not, but that was kind of the general concern with the first round series where if there was going to be a time where that series looked like it was in jeopardy, it was going to be because of of meshing, gelling, uh, uh, consistency, or it was going to be because Joel Embiid didn't play at all. Now, we saw them win without him once. Obviously, having him on the floor is better than not having him on the floor. But the whole they're not gelling is, is not... It's kind of out the window now, right? Because you can have rough games, you can have hard games, but this team is playing together very, very, very well. These five guys especially. And there's something to be said about uh, the way that that team is, that, that starting five. I keep saying team, but I don't want to say too much about the bench because they're not great uh, in the, in, for the most part. But uh, those five guys is that all of them were offensive threats, all five of them. Four of the five are average to plus defenders. So... It's going to be hard against a team uh, like Toronto, which we'll talk about more in a second, who, who is a little bit deeper, uh, a little bit more consistent. Um, but with those five guys especially, uh, it, it's hard to see them being outplayed by anyone, which is a, a, a very good sign. And, uh, you know, if you had said that to somebody after the first game, they would have chopped you in the throat. But... Um, it was just one game, and, and it turned out that it was very, very, very much an outlier, uh, which is a great sign moving forward. And I, and I think, too, like, the the depth concerns me a little bit less now. Um, just kind of, like I, I guess, kind of just, like, seeing how the rotations played out uh, in the games they where they did have, in the, the four games where they did have Embiid, uh, minus the first game. Uh, so the last, the three of the last four. Uh it, just seeing like how the rotation plays out when you can play, you know, Jimmy Butler 40 minutes, you can play Tobias Harris 43 minutes. Like you just really right. don't need, I mean, in game in game five uh, or game four, rather Tobias Harris played over 43 minutes. Ben Simmons played 39. Reddick played 36 and Bede played 31 and a half. And Jimmy Butler played 24 because he got kicked out, but probably would have played like 40. Um, and at that point, you don't really need much else. Like you get Mike Scott in there for whatever, 25, 30 minutes. And he's been great. Uh, hopefully he's back. With He had the, the heel injury, which is concerning. But we haven't really heard anything more about that uh, as far as I've seen at this point. Um, Boban's been great. And then it's like spot minutes for James Ennis, TJ McConnell, Jonah Bolden, whoever. And at that point, like the fact that the Raptors ninth guy is better than our seventh guy doesn't really matter because right. that guy's going to play 12 minutes yeah i mean that's true and you know you're talking about 
the 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 spread of the minutes among the starting five, right? And how that all kind of balances. And you know, just to pull it up, I just looked at it. Um, minutes per game so far in the playoffs. Um, in in the five games so far that he, he that he played in, Ben Simmons has played thirty three point four minutes per game. Now, obviously, that's skewed a little bit because uh, two of those games he sat a bunch. But you know, that's a a, a fairly low number. Uh, if you put everybody who played in this year's playoffs and sorted by minutes per game, he's twenty third, uh, and he's the the highest sixer by a good margin, um, and that's great because you look at like for example, look at the top of this list. You see Paul George is first, who they just got eliminated last night. Paul George is playing forty point eight minutes a game, and they still couldn't win the series. And it's great to have, you know. These players have played now, you know, put those five minutes on top of Simmons. Simmons has now played, what, 84 games this year, mm-hmm. uh, taking regular season to playoff minutes. No matter how great uh, they look, how in shape they look, how uh, conditioned they look, that's a lot of basketball to be played. So there's a lot to be said about the ability to kind of give these guys rest. Now, Raptors were able to do that too. But uh, the ability to kind of sit these guys and give them rest uh, before going deeper into the playoffs, and hopefully, I don't see it happening this series, but hopefully you get a game where you can do that here too to kind of give people a breather so they're not just completely wearing themselves down. But that's huge. And I know you said we haven't heard anything, and knowing our podcast, we probably will hear immediately when we're done this. Um, I'm hoping that Mike Scott's injury isn't anything uh, terrible. I, I don't. I can't imagine it would be. Um, they're calling it. They were calling it a heel contusion. Um, he wouldn't have come back into that game yesterday anyway, I don't think, at that point. Um, so hopefully it's just, it just was wholly precautionary, and we'll find out soon enough that it was just like, you know, nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's been, I would say, could you? I wouldn't know if I even use the word arguably, uh, their most important bench piece this playoffs. Would you Would you say, oh, I'd say probably him and Boban. Where, 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 how would you put that? I think Mike Scott's like way more important. I mean, Boban's been great, but I think Mike Scott has really... Uh, I think, my, well, one, Mike Scott's just playing way more because he's more versatile, but I, I think he's yep. just been uh, really clutch for them and, like, has hit some big shots. He's played really great defense. Um, he's just, like, filled in wherever they've needed mm-hmm. him and kind of, like, taken over, uh, really, I guess you'd say, like, Tobias Harris's role when Tobias Harris is off the floor and a little bit of Jimmy Butler. Um, you know, obviously not doing nearly as much, but just, like, stepping out, spacing the floor, playing good defense, rebounding. Uh, and I feel like Boban has been like a nice bonus, um, just right. him, uh, you know, going off when when he gets in the game. But I feel like if you lost Mike Scott, that would hurt a lot more than losing Boban because you just don't have anyone. I mean, James Ennis would probably get those minutes, and I just don't feel great about that. I feel much better about Jonah Bolden or even like Amir Johnson or Greg Monroe stepping in yep. in those in whatever minutes you even want to play. Bo, uh, you would have played Boban. Uh, the other thing too is you can go small. Like if they lose Mike Scott, it you don't really have any replacement for that. If you lose Boban, you just play Mike Scott more and probably James Ennis yeah. more. Yeah, that's that's probably the case. Uh, so something that I noted too, and I don't I don't believe in jinxes, so it's not going to bother me uh, to bring this up. But um, a big question over. I mean, obviously he's a defensive liability a lot of the time, and you'll probably see them attack him in the next series. But a big question over kind of his lifetime in, in the NBA because uh, he, since he's also never missed the playoffs uh, is J.J. Reddick's shooting um, 
at certain points kind of dropping off in the playoffs, right? We saw that a lot last year where, like, a lot of his shots seemed to just, like, they weren't falling, and when those shots aren't falling and he's being roasted on defense, becomes a huge liability, right? Mm-hmm. I just wanted to point out that he's currently shooting over six and a half threes a game and hitting them at 42%. Tobias Harris is shooting four a game and hitting 50%, and the next closest person to attempt, you know, even more than one a game that's actually playing is Jimmy Butler, and it's 27%. So it's surprising a little bit that they didn't have to hit a ton of threes to beat the Nets. Um, they've made and attempted the second fewest in, in amongst playoff teams, I believe. Um, that's something that's probably going to have to change against the Raptors. You're going to have to start hitting three-pointers. Um, you know, you can't have Butler hitting 27%, Mike Scott at 26 Jonathan Simmons and Jonah Bolden each at 25 and beat at 23 That's rough, too. Um, you got to have some of these shots fall from the players who aren't Tobias Harris and J.J. Redick, most likely. Um, they didn't need that in this round. They're probably going to need it in the next one. Um, is there anything else outside of uh, the Raptors being in the opponent matchup wise, something like that? Something that you think that they need to do specifically on their own to improve themselves in the next round? Uh, it, like it wouldn't even matter who their opponent was. What's the one thing you think they need to step up to really give themselves a chance? You know, I I've, I really like that later in the series they use Jimmy Butler more as like br- bring the ball up if you want to call it point guard, but just just like put him put the ball in his hands a little bit more and especially after game one where he really took over like they just made a point of doing that more often and kind of letting him make things happen uh especially when they were going through dry spells and i feel like that's what i've wanted to see from him throughout the season since they made the trade and like seeing that more i think they'll need to do it a little bit more in this series um i don't want tj mcconnell really playing uh Mm -hmm. at all at this point i just i just think it's not like we talked about, it's maybe an okay matchup against, against Kyle Lowry, just in terms of Kyle Lowry not being a, a blow by you guy. Um, but I, I just think that at this point, you have Jimmy Butler, you have Ben Simmons, like nobody else should really be bringing the ball up the floor and, and nobody else should really have the ball in their hands to the extent that they do. Um, yeah. And I, I really hope, I hope they stick with that in the next series. Cause I think, I think that's really where Jimmy Butler can, can be, uh, super valuable right as a defender hitting big shots when you need them to and like stepping up when, when the offense stalls but just kind of mm-hmm. like running the offense a little bit too when, when ben simmons is off the floor and kind of staggering their minutes yeah and something just to know about that how if you kind of do that then there's he kind of you can, he looks a little bit less aggressive right because he's taking slightly fewer shots he's being more of a facilitator running the offense more but a lot of times that gives you a lot more value, right? So if you're looking at uh, just in the playoffs, the usage rate amongst players, right? So Embiid's first uh, in the four games he played, 38.5, which is uh, 0.3 above James Harden. If you had to put a number on it where you guess Jimmy Butler's usage rate is, where would you say it was? Uh, 18? 19.7. Oh, I was but close. Above... Redick and Simmons, and all Redick does is basically shoot the ball when he touches it. I'm surprised it's above Simmons. Yeah, Simmons 19.3, Butler's is 19.7. So, I mean, that's way, way down. I mean, it's below, you know, Marcus Morris, Al Horford, uh, below Rudy Gay. But, like, that's a a nice number there. You know, when Embiid's taking 38.5% of the the usage, uh, 19.7 is not a small number. Um, 
but I think a lot of that has to do, like you said, with him initiating the offense, bringing the ball up, doing a little bit more. Um, also, a lot of that probably is skewed from the game one performance as well. But uh, I think, yeah, we, a lot of people were saying, and people are probably still saying that, you know, the reason that Butler was brought in was for the playoffs, right? The regular season performance didn't necessarily matter all that much. Obviously, if he just walked around being terrible, that mattered. But acquiring Jimmy Butler, uh, and to a lesser extent acquiring Tobias Harris, was about this postseason run. Um, and the general idea was like a game one performance, right? Where he puts him on his back, scores 30 plus, 35 plus, um, shows that he's like that cold blooded guy, uh, gives you that like stereotypical, like, like, uh, uh, momentous playoff performance. But when the team's been doing well is when he kind of isn't doing that. When he's doing, when he's showing, doing other parts of his game, when he's not, you know, just going ISO and taking step back jumpers because jumpers aren't falling and he's playing smarter and he's, um, facilitating a little bit more. He's getting to the rim better. He's he's kind of spacing the floor out a little bit. He's looking around. And it doesn't have that same flash to it, but I'd rather see this. Mm-hmm. And I think that is probably true for a lot of people. You'd rather see, you know, someone who can do five or six different things at once who's harder to stop because you know they're not just going to ISO and shoot over you. And I don't know if that's necessarily getting lost in the shuffle because... You know, everyone's playing well, and they have been playing well, but what Butler's been doing, I think, is really impressive to me. And outside of Ben Simmons, he's probably the second most impressive person um, that in, in the first round. And I'm just not considering Joel Embiid in that because Joel Embiid is so consistently impressive that, like, to really blow me away, he would have to be otherworldly. <laughs> it's, like, an unfair standard to keep him to, but he's just always so out of this world that it's it's he's separate. Um but yeah, he's right below Ben Simmons for me. And Simmons, again, was game one, not great. But ever since then, he's been playing out of his mind and just with such confidence and, and poise and like without being frazzled at all, um, which is a huge sign moving forward. Um, what did you take away from from Butler and, and Simmons and to a lesser extent, uh, Redick and Tobias's performance in round one? Yeah, I, I actually thought Tobias stepping back into the kind of where he was before that last week and a half of the season is like maybe yeah. the most important thing of all of that. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, like you said, outside of him and Reddick, nobody's hitting from outside. Right. Um, and, yeah. and I think him getting back to a point where you expect him to make those shots. I think a lot of like the, the kind of, especially last night, it felt like a lot of those kind of dagger shots where, the Sixers would, would were like really pushing the lead out, or uh, they'd move the ball around and get and get Tobias Harris a wide open look, and he he was just hitting those. Um, yep. And you just feel like between him and Reddick, and Reddick's more the like come around a curl, catch it, and take some ridiculous off balance shot that he makes. Tobias mm-hmm. Harris is just like standing there, gets it kicked out to him, and you just know he's going to bang that shot. And I, I feel like having yep. that back versus where he was a couple weeks ago when he was basically shooting like 20% from three over like a week and a half. Uh, It just makes such a big difference. I I think that's like a really underrated uh, storyline from round one. It's just like him bouncing back. And there's a part of that too where he's such a great spot-up shooter and -and catch-and-shoot guy that Ben Simmons playing downhill and strong and honestly probably intimidating the Nets a little bit brings so much focus to him that he draws so much gravity that Tobias standing out there wide open behind three can just take calm, relaxed mm-hmm. shots. And he's able to do that and then do the the thing that Reddick will do too, where like you take the pump figure they're chasing you, 
you they blow by you and you just take one step in and you know it's a long two which you don't like but it's a comfortable consistent easy shot for them um and it's points um but yeah tobias coming up after you know kind of i don't know if i would even say necessarily struggling because it is a new team you know new setup all that kind of stuff so it was kind of just more like a learning curve and and a, a comfortability thing probably but he's really hitting that stride now which is which is a perfect time to do it um so let's take a look forward now uh and look at the raptors before we do that uh let's take a quick break vacations can be tricky you already know how to book flights and hotels but now the only thing you're missing is you know the actual travel experience because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home you need a tool to get the most out of your time away that's where viator steps in you can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, Max, uh, so we're back. So all the, the pleasantries and we're so happy with how the team has been doing and kind of pretending that the next opponent is just like anybody who could say who the next opponent is that's done and we're staring the toronto raptors right in the face um before we get into stuff that you're worried about stuff you're not worried about um i just want to make uh one small point uh before we go anywhere else yes uh you will see it brought up on broadcasts on twitter uh pretty much everywhere, that these Sixers have never beaten Kawhi Leonard. And that is true. Uh, he's Kawhi Leonard on the Spurs and now the Raptors has played the Sixers, I think, 13 times in his career, and he has never once lost. However, it's kind of silly to use that other than like a, a fun, interesting fact. Um, because in all that time, in those 13 wins, it's the only thing that's matched was the jerseys the colors the the laundry um just taking a quick look back yeah they're over 0 and 3 against them this year but you also hear people say the raptors and this current iteration of the post tobias trade sixers have not met uh but oh they're still 0 and 3 against them this year he didn't play in one of their games he didn't play at all last year uh the year before that the sixers were 0 and 2 against him and in those games the one game the starting five was ursan dario tj nick stauskas and julio okafor and the other game starting five was Covington, TJ, Urson, Ja, and Gerald Henderson. Year before that, he didn't play in the two games they played the Sixers. So that's only 0-5. Going back to before that, so in the last seven games, the two years, uh, now three years ago, four years ago, uh, they were 0-2 against them. And the starting lineups in those games were MCW, Hollis, Henry Sims, Luke Bamute, and Brandon Davies. Oof. And the other... The other game was the same starting lineup, except for it was Tony Roten instead of Michael Carter-Williams. So, yes, he is 13-0 against the Sixers, but let's not pretend that has any bearing on this team. I, I, it's a very fun, easy thing to reference, but it's kind of 
completely out of the out of the box. You see this in baseball a lot. Like I, I feel like whenever yeah. I watch a baseball broadcast, they'll they'll show like the all time series between like the Indians and mm-hmm. the the Royals, and I'm like, this means nothing. It's like okay, so these right. teams are 372 and 230 against each other. It's like who gives a shit what was happening in 1977, right? And even if you just include this season, like 0 and three. In those games, um, you know, it's a small sample size. They didn't have Tobias Harris, and I guess I'm just not that concerned. Like, I don't think that really means all that much. I think that the team also, um, I think a lot of that, like we were talking about earlier, is you have a team that just lacks depth uh, going up against a team Mm -hmm. that has a ton of it, and the Sixers have had um, a roster that's kind of been in flux throughout the season, and I feel like Given all that, um, I think the 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 fact that the Raptors' biggest strength over the Sixers, I, I think, in terms of matchup, is is their depth, and I think that's really mitigated by the fact that in the playoffs you're you're limiting your, your rotation so much more, and the fact that uh, now the Sixers have Tobias Harris, and in that trade um, didn't give up other than Landry Shamit like a lot of right now pieces. Um, I think I think the Sixers are better suited. Uh, in a playoff series against the Raptors than they were, I guess, before the Tobias Harris trade in a regular season game where you're relying more on guys like Furkan Korkmaz and uh, Mike Scott and whoever else. I guess they didn't even have Mike Scott at that point. They did not, no. Uh, So, going forward, um, I know we have uh, questions that a lot of the questions deal specifically with the Raptors series, obviously, so um, we'll kind of leave some of that topic stuff until we get to the question part, but uh, biggest for you, Max, biggest concern, biggest confidence boost, um, and then just other thoughts about, about this matchup. Hmm. Um, I'd say my biggest concern is Embiid against Gasol. Uh, and I, and I say that, okay. I say that primarily, you know, I was looking at some stuff before we came on, uh, just kind of previewing the series and, um, on NBA.com, uh, uh, I'm blanking on uh, who wrote this. Let me pull it up. John Schumann, that's who it was. John Schumann wrote a uh, basic preview of the series and pointed out something that I, I hadn't realized, um, which is that Embiid has really struggled, uh, not just this season, but in past seasons, but this season especially against Gasol. Uh, he hasn't played the Raptors. Um, the Sixers haven't played the Raptors since the Gasol trade, since the deadline. Uh, but in the two games that mm-hmm. the Sixers played against Memphis this year, where Gasol and Embiid played, uh, Gasol was actually more successful against Embiid than anyone else who Embiid played more than once this season. Uh, held in the 29% mm-hmm. shooting. I also just think Gasol, like beyond that, Gasol is just the last kind of guy that you want Embiid going against. Uh, just someone with that kind of size, someone who... Um, isn't going to fall for his pump fakes, someone who's going to stay home, someone who can just like bang with him and rebound over him. Like I, I feel like if they can mitigate Embiid's effect or, or at least uh, be able to, to defend him one-on-one, I think that's really going to um, limit a lot of what, what the Sixers did to, to the Nets in games two, four and five, where Embiid just had, yeah. they just had to double him. And when they did, he was swinging out. He was making good decisions. They were getting open looks. Uh, if they, if the Raptors can can get away with having Marcus all on him, you know, even just 
half the possessions not having to double when Embiid gets the ball in the post, that makes a huge difference. And I'm, I'm a little worried about that. I, I'd say like, I'd say the thing that I'm actually confident about and, uh, you know, relatively is I think Jimmy Butler is kind of the perfect guy to have defending Kawhi Leonard. Um, like I, I know we've talked before about, you know, in the, in the, the aftermath of the, the Robert Covington trade, like kind of comparing their two styles of defense. And I think while Covington's like a really good position guy, really good help defender, all those things active. I feel like Jimmy Butler is the kind of like Patrick Beverly style lockdown really gets into it kind of guy that you want going against a Kawhi Leonard or a Kevin Durant or like when if you're talking about like one-on-one defense I think Jimmy Butler is suited for that matchup uh in a way that not many guys in the league are so I, I feel and also I think like his attitude um I think he'll really step up in, in that role so I'm like I guess hopeful that Kawhi Leonard is not going to kill us as much as he probably should yeah, see, for me, um, my biggest concern is not Kawhi, um, which I think is kind of like the typical answer, but uh, because Kawhi is going to get his. He's going to do what Kawhi is going to do. It's going to be very, very hard to stop him. And if you, you can focus on Kawhi and stop Kawhi and still lose the game. Whereas I think if you not let Kawhi get his, but like if Kawhi goes off a little bit or plays really well, but you do a really good job of handling everyone else, that's a more likely win for you. Um, just looking at, I mean, they lost the, the three games that Kawhi played against them this year. Obviously the Sixers lost. Um, looking at the games where they played, right? Talking about defensive matchups. So you were talking about wanting to have Butler in there, right? So in one game, uh, Simmons and Butler basically split the coverage of him 41 to 37 percent and then the rest a couple other people in minuscule numbers uh at another game butler had 39 percent simmons had 13 they actually put wilson chandler on him 24 percent of the time which was uh didn't look great didn't work out great if i can tell you shocked by those numbers uh and then another game the, the first one uh simmons covered Kawhi 54 percent of the time and covington had him a little bit and the rest and no one has really been able to stop him looking at the numbers like you know you have uh in the game when, when Butler covered him 37% of the time, he went 0 for 4 from the floor and 0 for 2 from 3, uh, but he made 8 free throws. So uh, the, sc- the team still scored 26 points. He still scored 8. Um, so he's going to be hard to stop because you're going to foul him. Uh, he's going to get his way around you. He's going to play the tough defense on you. But the key should really be, and it, it probably th- I think it will be if they're going to win this series, is to try to shut down everybody else, right? You try to... Try to keep Kyle Lowry down. Try to um, stifle Pascal Siakam from getting momentum and energy and things that like that he seems to truly, truly thrive on. Um, stop Fred Van Vliet from doing the short, the small guard thing that small guards always do to you, and just completely knife you up. Um, those things to me seem more crucial uh, and more of a, 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 mess, a method for success than just focusing on stopping Kawhi because you can stop Kawhi and they could still kick your ass. Um, and that for, for me is, I'm, you know, and Gasol's a part of that too, but you know, I'm talking more about these guys who you really should be able to stop because you really are matched up to them fairly well, but they're the ones that scare me. You know, I'm, I'm terrified of a, of a 
uh, 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 like a trademark, put your stamp on at Pascal Siakam game or even a series stuff like that. That that's the shit that scares me because, like I said, Kawhi is going to do what Kawhi does. He's extremely, extremely, extremely good. Um, so even if you hold him down, you can only hold him down so much. But you need to be able to stop those other guys. It's kind of the same thing we talked about during the Brooklyn series, right? Is that like D'Angelo Russell is not going to be the guy who's going to win them that series? Right. It's going to be Joe Harris, and it obviously wasn't Joe Harris because he sucked in that series. But right. like. Yeah. I agree with you. I think on the on the on the flip side of that, it's like, well, I don't know. Maybe Embiid's the person who wins you this series, but I think it 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 is Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons. You know those guys. Like one of the Mike Scott, even like one of one or two of those guys mm-hmm. every every night has to have, a, you know, a really strong performance along with Embiid just being yeah. awesome every night, which he's been through the whole playoffs every time he's played. Right, and, you know, doesn't look bad. Uh, there was some time there where he looked like like a half of a man. It looked like he was hobbled a bit. And he, I mean, he obviously still played better than most players would, even when he was hobbled. Um, but he hasn't looked bad. Part of that is being able to give him rest when you pulled ahead, which was just very good. But uh, hasn't looked hot, bad I, I have, a, I have um, a little bit of a, before we move on, uh, I wouldn't call yeah. it a hot take, but, but just a thought. Like, is there a world in which moving forward playing Joel Embiid less and not 20 minutes not 24 minutes which is what he's been playing uh in the playoffs but like 27 28 minutes like just like every night is there a world where that makes more sense than getting him to where he was earlier this year where he's playing like 33 35 38 some nights like is that just kind of what's going to make most sense for Embiid's career First career, maybe, but for this series, it, it it would be, I don't know. I'd be worried about that because if that's going to be the mode for his career, and you're going to go, all right, you know, he because he's MVP caliber player, but he's only going to play like 28 to 31 minutes a night. Then you need to get a much better backup. I think I think Boban can be that, but Boban can't be that. He can. Boban can't be that on a consistent basis. Boban can't be that. Um, because he's not versatile uh, defensively, uh, you can't have, you know, the the perfect backup for Joel Embiid would be like sixty percent of Joel Embiid, right? Where you don't just go purely offensive or purely defensive. And Boban, <clears throat> for a man who's so big and who does get in the way of people driving, is a much more offensive player than a defensive player because he's he's extremely skilled in offense. He's bigger than everybody. He can just grab the ball and put it back down. But people can get around him people can go under him people can go by him people he just can't close out on people um and that's a concern and then you have your other version of the backup which you know at this point is Greg Monroe but if you talk about going into the future you have Jonah Bolden who sometimes I mean he's a rookie so I'm not gonna harp on him about this because it's gonna get better but like sometimes he looks completely lost out there like he's never seen a basketball before um he fouls way too much um, which is, if you need someone to spell Joel Embiid to give him rest, you can't have that guy racking up fouls because then that whole plan is, is shot. Um, do I think that's possible in this series? I think it could be, but then what happens is, which is something that concerns me, because I have trust in Joel Embiid. I know what kind of player he is. I know what he can give you on a consistent basis, right? If you cut his minutes down for, for whatever reason you decide to do so, then you are putting... You are asking me to trust 
Boban that much. You're asking me to trust Jonah Bolden that much. You're asking me to trust Greg Monroe that much, and I can't do that. At this point, I can't do that. Um, I think the time to, you know, for, for all those jokes about how the Sixers were a team that was 90% centers, it would have been great if they were able to get a backup at some point in that, in that time of when they were only picking big dudes. It would have been great if they, instead of uh, selling off second-round picks or, uh, you know, poorly drafting some first-round picks, if they used that to get a guy who they saw as a, you know, 12 to 16-minute-a-game backup five. That would have been great. That would have been huge for this team, and it's going to be huge for this team going forward. I just don't know if that person's on this team right now. Well, there's always Andres Pasechniks. Don't fucking start, man. By the way, I think that's the longest I've gone into this podcast before cursing for the first time. Um, so I think we got uh, a bunch of questions, most of which are going to be about this series in some way or another. Um, so we should probably just, just hop into yeah, questions. Yeah, let's do that. Before we do that, um, I want to do two things. First is take a quick break. But before we take the break, um, I need to know your series prediction. If you need a second to think, I will tell you mine. No, I don't need any time. Sixers in six. All right. I have the same thing. I have Sixers. I'm going a step further this time. Uh, Sixers losing game one, winning games two and three, losing game four, so splitting in Toronto and splitting on the road, and then winning the next two out, winning in in Toronto, and then uh, taking it in game six at home. I like that. I think think they definitely lose game one. I feel feel pretty confident about them losing game one. I do, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I... uh, yeah, I have. I mean, I have each team winning their first home game and losing their second of the series. So, and I think that's honestly that could be the best the best scenario of here. I mean, I don't think um, they're not going to sweep the Raptors. That is painfully sure that that's not going to happen. Uh, them winning in five is is difficult. I think it's possible. Things have to go really, really right. Um, I think in six is the sweet spot because I think if you get to seven, they might have the advantage. Obviously, they have the home court advantage, but just of of you know sheer amount of people that can throw at you and and just the way they can do it um so i think you have like i think the goal is should be, should be to win in six the, the only realistic mm-hmm. goal i think should yeah. really be to win in six all right let's take a quick break and we'll be back and take questions all right uh max should have asked this before to take the break did you did you pull up any questions I did not. All right. We should have done this during the break. We should have done this during uh, the break. I, have them, I do have them right in front of me because I have Twitter open. Okay. Uh, and I have my tweet right here, so I'm going to do it. All right. Um, I have one. I'll, I'll take one first since there's a slight delay. Okay. Um, there's a slight delay. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, alar- <laughs> I, I need to read through the question to make sure it's a good question. Yeah. Uh, so I, I did not want to just... Uh, just start reading yes, them. Yes. Uh, this is more of a semantic question, but... Uh, at a larger quiver asked, uh, is every four and one series win a gentleman's sweep? I thought mm, that I was when a team up three Oh gives away game four between winning game five, but both inside the NBA guys and rights. Ricky Sanchez referred to the four one series this way. Seems crazy to call the net series a gentleman's sweep when we lost the first. Now, I mean, it's a semantics thing. I think there's nothing. I'm obviously like no one's wrong in this made up phrase. Um, but I always Thought and heard a gentleman's sweep referred to as as what Elijah Quivers here says. Three zero, you kind of like you know they take a game or you know you kind of have your foot off the gas and you give them a game and then you take the next one right. So they take game four. Um, I always heard and this maybe more in baseball because uh, 
they have constant four game series that if you drop the first uh, and win the rest of them out, I've heard that referred to as a backdoor sweep. Um, so that's how I would look at this. It was a backdoor sweep because you gave them game one and then you took all the rest of them in a row. So there's a sweep aspect to it, but uh, it's it's backdoor since you caught them, you gave them the first one. I agree with that. I, I, I think that, in my opinion, a gentleman's sweep can be either up 3-0, lose game four, win game five, or it could be you're up uh, like 2-0, drop one, and then win the next two. Like, basically what, what feels like a sweep minus one game that you blow, but that can't be the first game. And right. I, I don't even think it could be the second game. I don't think the series can ever be uh, not in your favor or tied beyond oh oh yeah i agree to be a gentleman sweep yeah so brett gordon asked what player would you most want to hear a rap album from and least want one from well i mean i least want one from tj mcconnell (laughs) i think that's a fair answer um i think i'd probably i don't know maybe i'd most want one from i think it's either uh Jimmy or 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 Joel, uh, mm. I think Joel would be very funny. Um, he's a good wordsmith, uh, but I think Jimmy can really hop on the uh, the country trap bandwagon and uh, get some chart topping out of it. You know, he could really climb up the charts. Uh, just you know, hitch his horse to that wagon uh, if you can if you can say that, uh, and really make a make a secondary career out of it. Yeah, I think I think I at least want to hear one. I, I kind of feel like Amir Johnson would be like he'd just be like that '80s like super corny uh, shit. Like that that's just like what I'm imagining Amir Johnson's rap would be like. Just because everything about uh, everything else about him is just like stuck in a time that I don't even think he really lived in. Like he just feels like an NBA player from. 20 years ago yeah even though he's uh, like despite, despite being like 31 years old yeah he's like six months older than me <laughs> yeah um <laughs> most i'd say mike scott actually i feel like mike oh, yeah. scott would be would be the guy on this team maybe jimmy butler but he's he's the you know like you said he is uh more of a country man but i, I think mike scott would be good yeah that could be good um here's, here's uh, what do, oh i Oh, go ahead. I would say here's just a, a quick one, which I think we kind of talked about a little bit, um, but we can kind of give a little bit more nuance to it. Uh, at DFB9390 asked, uh, after watching the Brooklyn Nets series, are you more or less confident in the Toronto series? I, I think the obvious answer is more, um, especially since they dropped game one in that disappointing fashion and they just basically ran the table for at least three of those four games. They were never really in doubt. Um, but the, the Brooklyn and, and Toronto are so different, not only skill and talent wise, but the way they play, the way they move, you know, how, how they match up against you that I am more confident, but unless they won every single game against Nets by 70, I even think that it would, that would give me less co- like confidence. They could beat Toronto and more like, Oh wow, Brooklyn must really suck. Uh, just because the teams yeah. are so different. <laughs> totally. I, yeah, I think there, I think there's part of it where, um, them getting that wake up call in game one and then like going on such a tear. Yeah. I think that's, if you want to call that the backdoor sweep, I think the backdoor sweep is in some ways, I, obviously a sweep would be better, mm-hmm. but I think is up there with the sweep as the, the second best outcome you could have going into the next round. Yeah. Uh, just feeling like they got it out of their system and they're hot. Yeah. Um, Sixers news asked, uh, what do you think the defensive matchups will be? We talked about Kawhi. Uh, he he asked Kawhi on Simmons or Butler. 
Siakam on Harris or Butler, Lowry or, or Green guarding Redick, who won the Sixers guards Leonard. We, we talked a little bit about that last one. Um, I think he's asking more the, the opposite, uh, which is who do we think is going to defend beyond the Embiid-Gasol matchup? Who's going to get who from the Raptors' end? I mean, I've, I, I think the Raptors would probably try to put Kawhi on Ben. Um, just because, and as you saw this in the Boston series, and you see it every once in a while, um, maybe a little bit less so now that you, you've seen Jimmy bring the ball up more and kind of initiate the offense and have Ben run off ball. But if you just completely lock Ben Simmons up, the whole team suffers. You know, it's a quintessential point guard thing. Mm-hmm. If, if you can't get into your offense, if you can't get clear for a basic bounce pass to somebody, your whole your whole situation is screwed up. Um and, you know, let's not pretend that Ben isn't a flawed player who can be played uh, a very certain by the book way because of his lack of a jump shot. So I think putting Kawhi on him is smart. Um, I can see, I don't know, I can see them, I guess, Siakam on Tobias. Um, Green on either JJ or Butler. Green's a good defender still. Um, although you, you want to put Lowry on, on, uh, on Jimmy. Maybe. Um, I think they probably try to hide Lowry on Redick, right? Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, you got. I mean, you got to chase Redick around a lot, though. I think you might need somebody who has a little bit more stamina and speed and, and a little bit more size, uh-huh. which I think maybe you know maybe that's Green, um, because you know if you know Lowry's stubby little legs can't be chasing JJ Redick around. Uh, he's got to he's got to push that donk around the court, man. He can't be. He doesn't have that much speed anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they match up. The, the Raptors defensively match up against the Sixers very well. Um, but I think the key for them is probably uh, putting, either, honestly, either Kawhi or Pascal on Ben. I could see just for the length and, and athleticism of both of those guys could really could really cause some real problems for the Sixers. I have an interesting question. Um, I think the the answer is obvious, but actually, as I'm thinking about it, it's a little bit closer than. Uh, in my head than I, I would have thought. Uh, Julian Andreessen asked, would losing Mike Scott for the Toronto series be worse than losing Redick for the series? No, and I think the... Uh, I get with why that's the question, and I don't think it's like a sheer blowout, but just from the stat that I read that there are only two players on the team yeah, that are shooting threes at any kind of consistent basis that are making more than 30% of them, and J.J. Redick's one of those guys. Um, and I that's al- such al- a huge that unlocks so much of their offense. It's such a huge part of it. If you don't have JJ Redick running around like a kid who just had a bunch of pixie sticks, then your de- your offense looks completely different, and the defense can play you in a completely different way. Yeah, and I think I think too like the Nets, even though they're less talented than than the Raptors, uh, the fact that they had Dinwiddie, uh, D'Angelo, and Karis Levert, uh, it put Redick in a situation a lot of times with, with Levert where he was just getting smoked. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think you have that so much with, uh, you have the ability to put him on Danny Green. Uh, I think he can at least hold his own a little bit against Van Vliet. Uh, I think Lowry is like, like a, a tough guard, but, but, um, I think it's a better matchup if JJ gets switched on to him. Like, I just, I guess I think that the deficiencies that JJ had, especially in game one, but even throughout the series, right, where it's just like, it's hard for him to stay in front of guards like that. I, I think is mitigated a little bit in this series because the Raptors don't have as many 
uh, as many guys you're going to be asking JJ Redick to cover unless there's a switch and he ends up on Kawhi. But I think you, I think the the guys on their team that you're worried about are primarily guys who will be defended by Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, MB, Tobias Harris, Mike Scott. Yep. Uh, let me pull up another question unless you have one. Uh, no, I just have uh, a thought. Um, that let I was me, gonna, let me hear it. I, I was going to ask about. Because I was just thinking to myself um, while you were talking, and I wasn't listening to you. Um, that's half of a joke. Um, no, I was uh, I was thinking about you know the the players that kind of always give uh, the Sixers fits, and one of those guys was uh, Jonas Valanciunas, uh, who is not there anymore. But Marcus Gasol is also one of those dudes. But one of the guys who always stood out to me because he's what I've loved him as a player for a long time, and and that's you know Serge Ibaka, and there was a question that this kind of kind of spurred in my mind if I can find it in a second. Um, oh, okay, it's from at John Wooden. Uh, they said, since we can't have Jimmy getting ejected or suspended, who should be the designated goon for the series when tensions inevitably boil over? I think that would be a very bad thing for the Sixers because they can't afford to lose anyone um, for any reason. I mean, Joel Embiid can't get basically any more flagrants or technicals. Uh, you're going to start getting into trouble there and it, you you can't, you're not a deep enough team where against a team like Toronto where you can lose a Jimmy Butler or a Mike Scott or maybe even like a James Ennis because uh, you need I think we can lose a Jonathan Simmons pretty easily. We can lose a Jonathan Simmons. That's fine. Uh, but that got me thinking a little bit about Serge Ibaka and how he might be called in a certain way by the officials because of his uh, tendency to throw fisticuffs uh, and maybe attempt to a choke a person, uh, which we saw earlier this year with uh, Marquise Chris where he got a suspension and a fine and stuff like that. So I guess I'm going to modify this question and ask you, um, are, do you think Serge Ibaka will play a little bit more under control with his emotions because he is probably at a larger risk of getting a flagrant too just from reputation? Or do you think that won't enter his mind at all and he's not going to worry about that? It doesn't seem like it ever enters his mind. That's true. <laughs> he plays pretty pretty out of control a lot of the time. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I have... Even when I play basketball, it's like I kind of lose uh, l- lose the ability to like think clearly in those moments. Sure. Not that I like get in fights on the floor, but uh, you know, you just you're just not you don't have the same self control that you do when your adrenaline's flowing. And and I'm just a 30 year old dude playing pickup. Yep. So I would I would think that probably that won't be going through his mind in the in those moments if it gets if it gets chippy. Yeah, I, he would probably be my pick for the Raptor to to cause shit though. I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, I might have one more question, unless you unless you have anything you wanna you wanna throw in there. Um, well, I have. There's I can combine two into one, and then kind of make a third part out of it if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, at Rye underscore underscore Campbell Soup asked your picks for series MVP, uh, which I'm assuming means the series just passed. Uh, and then yes. uh, at bad name one two three four asked pick your first round awards MVP defensive player etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So I guess let's each give our MVP and defensive player or um, you know uh, let's let's call it a six man but just basically say like the second best guy right so you're not your MVP but the guy who you know outplayed your expectations rising star sure um, and then who you think those people need to be to have a, a success in the next round. So All right. I, it, I would put um, 
my round one MVP at Ben Simmons. Uh, and then I would put my quote unquote rising star. And I probably actually, I probably honestly give Simmons. Does Embiid just not count for any of this? No, because like, I was, I was, was going to give him my defensive player, but I, I didn't want to give him oh, both. Oh, so you can't. So, you, so it's like I the mean, real voting where you, they just never give the player, never, never give one player two things. You can, but I, I just wanted it. to honor them both. And then I would, I would give my, you know, my quote unquote rising star, my, my sixth man, my second fiddle award, um, probably to Tobias, to Tobias Harris. Um, I think Simmons, you saw him unlock something in himself that, you know, there's always that that kind of criticism of how everyone talks about what Ben Simmons can't do and no one really talks about what he can do. And he really showed you what he can do, even when he can't do the things that he can't. Uh, and the type of player that he can be in and how he can take over and and just, you know, look completely unfazed and, and un- unbothered by anyone. I mean, he shot like 50, 65% from the floor in that series, um, which is incredible. So... Uh, he's my MVP. D- defensively, just Embiid gives you something when you're on the floor, whether he's blocking shots or not, that you just don't have from anybody else on the team, and that just just makes such a huge difference. And then Tobias with shooting 50 percent from three, especially after coming off of a, a a kind of a slumpy end of the end of the the season there. Yeah, I uh, for MVP I got to go Embiid. Um, the, the series he just had was insane. I mean, he yeah, put up truly. basically 25, 13 and a half, three and a half, and three in 24 minutes. Uh, I was looking at this before before we came on. Uh, per 36, he put up 36.7 points, 20 rebounds, uh, 5.2 assists, 4.1 blocks, and 1.5 steals. Uh, nobody's ever done that before. I, I looked this up. Uh, not even including the blocks and steals, just the 36.7 20 rebounds, 5.2 assists. Nobody's even done the 36.7 points and 20 rebounds. And you have to bring it all the way down to 30 and 15 to find another guy who's done it at all. And it's Giannis this season. Yeah. His series against the Nets was unbelievable um, on just a, when he was on the floor basis. Um, I'd give my, my runner up, I guess the rising star award. I, I'd give that to Ben Simmons. I think he really, after game one, really stepped it up and I thought had some, uh, some of his best moments, uh, as a sixer and parts of that series. And I think he, if we're, if we're kind of looking ahead, I think that probably needs to hold true for the next round too, where mm-hmm. Embiid is your MVP. Simmons is your rising star or your, or your second star or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think I think it needs to be that in this in this upcoming series. I think if Ben Simmons struggles against the Raptors, you really don't have much of a shot. Yeah, um, he he can't play even close to to the way he did in in uh, Game One. But I think he really needs to be, if not their second best, he needs to be up there with Jimmy or Tobias as like that that second tier beyond Embiid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then defensive player, it's it's Embiid again. I mean, it, it was just ridiculous. Like I'm looking I'm looking at it right now. Uh, in terms of defensive box plus minus in the series, Embiid was a 6.3, and the next highest was Ben Simmons, who was a 1.6 positive. Uh, overall in the series, box offensive and defensive box plus minus, Embiid led. Uh, if you combine them, he was a plus 13.3. Next highest was Ben Simmons, who was a 6.4. Yeah. I mean, he was just on a totally different level, that whole series. Um so yeah, I, I can't not give him both. Yeah, and if you all right, so then if you had to say who those three people had to be in this coming series to give you the best shot at winning or for the team to win, uh, who would you put that at? Because I would say Embiid is is got to be the MVP. Um, yeah, got to play. He's got to play well. Um, 
I think Simmons at this point will have to be that rising star guy, that second guy. Um, I don't think it's like impossible for for them to to win if he's not the second best player on the team, but it's f- close to impossible for them to win if he's playing bad. Um, and then defensive player, I would just I'd probably put that on on Jimmy because I think Jimmy probably in, in in combination with with Ben will be guarding Kawhi the two of them nearly 100% of the time, and I can see a bulk of that going to Jimmy, and that's just going to be huge. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think, like I was saying before, it has to be Embiid. Embiid's got to be one. Uh, ben, if he's not two, has to be three or four. He he can't be uh, you know, outplayed by Mike Scott in the series, basically, or, or just like struggling. And, and it can't, the narrative coming out of the series can't be, or in game by game three of the series can't be Ben Simmons is really shitting the bed like he did last year against uh, Boston. Right. Like, I think you just can't win a series like that with, with your point guard doing that. And, and honestly, your second best player doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of defensive player, I agree with you. It's like, whether it's Jimmy Butler, it's Ben Simmons, or it's Mike Scott, whoever's on Kawhi Leonard needs to be that guy. Like, I am, I'm pretty concerned uh, about, about that matchup. Like I said, you know, Jimmy Butler, I think, is as good as you can get in terms of a starter who you're going to just throw him at Kawhi Leonard and hope he does something. But just watching him in this last series, Kawhi, he's just so good and, like, just so fluid and patient and finishes everything. It's just, like, I, I just have, like, nightmares of what he could do to the Sixers. But at the same time, I, I feel like it's just one of those things. It's like when... when um and the Sixers had Iguodala and like Kobe or KD or whoever would come to town. It's like, you just hope that he makes him take 27 shots to get to 38 points and not score 38 on 15 shots and a bunch of free throws. Yeah. Like, you know, that's like all you can hope for is Kawhi's going to go off, but just make him work for it and don't let him set up other guys. Yeah, no, uh, I agree. I think that's probably all we have. Uh, is that correct, Max? I think so too. Yeah. All right. So, uh, the schedule for, for the next round is out. Um, Max, where where will you be watching Game One? I did not see. Where, when did that come out? Did that come out while we were uh, while we were on. Oh no, it came out a little bit earlier. So uh, Game One is uh, this Saturday, this coming Saturday, uh, either at seven thirty or eight p.m. Eastern Standard Time, depending on if uh, Nuggets and uh, uh, Spurs need uh, a Game okay. Seven. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I didn't see the the TBD. Um, where will I be watching? Probably at home. Uh, there's not really, there aren't really that many places in Seattle to watch basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, understandably so. Shocking. Uh, I'll probably find some friends, some Sixers friend, Sixers friends out here to to meet up with and watch since it's a Saturday. But yep. hoping to hoping uh, you know I'll be back in Philly in June, mm-hmm. uh, right around the time of the finals. Um, I might try to take a trip back. Maybe if I can find a, a good flight, try to take a trip back for this Toronto series, or if they make it to the next round, yeah. maybe for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what about you? Uh, well, so this is another one of the reasons why I don't think they're going to win game one. Um, I, I'm not a superstitious person. I, I don't think anything I do has any kind of impact on the team uh, or the universe in any way. Um, but game one of this uh, last round was the only game that I watched um, not in the home of myself or a friend, and it will be the same case uh, for this game one. I'll actually be in uh, in Jersey City, New Jersey, um, so I will be have to be out somewhere watching. So, 
Well, it's good. It's good timing because we both said they were going to lose that game anyway. Yeah, so I know that would mean it was kind part, of bl- throwing it away anyway. It informed my prediction, but I think it was part of it. So, uh, but yeah, um, I, I assume you know, unless it's just the most depressing four game series to ever exist, we'll be back in chat at some point before it's over. Uh, and, and until then, just just thanks for listening, and uh, and let's let's get this done in in six games. All right, see ya. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on mom? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.